House of Cards. And The Strain. And something else oh, yeah. I watched. I forgot he was in that. Wait, he was in The Strain? He was like the main guy. Wait, is that show still on the air? I think it ended like last year. I gave up after season two. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's weird. It, it stopped being really a, like a horror story. It became this weird, like... I don't know. I gave up after season two. Okay. I know that people continually compared his son to Carl from The Walking Dead because apparently they were both really shitty children. Carl. 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 Hey, what was the announcement? Did you guys hear about the Urban Meyer thing yet? It hasn't been announced yet. That, so, I don't, oh. know if you, I don't know if you're on Reddit, but... Um, Reddit RCFB has had basically they originally did like an Urban Meyer decision mega thread when stuff started getting announced, and mm-hmm. that got so many comments they've had to like break it down into other threads. They've got like five, and so there's now. like five mega threads now. Each of them have like eight thousand comments, and they're mostly just talking about like what food they're eating. It's just the most random. You know, some dude is copying and pasting Motel Six reviews. <laughs> Like, it's just the craziest shit that has nothing to do with anything. By the, saw, um, by the way, guys, we are recording right now. That's fine. You'll pick the best parts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, no. Like, this is all staying in. Artem, what were you going to say? I was going to say some dude took a picture uh, of Urban Meyer behind a trash can or something walking to his car, and they're like, <laughs> Urban Meyer's body. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, pretty sure I just spiked the speaker on that one. Oh, and after yelling at me for hitting the table. Uh, hey everybody, welcome back to the Tell Me It's Love podcast. I'm Logan. I'm here with uh, two chuckleheads, Andrew and Artem. How you guys doing today? Well, allegedly I'm going to get a raise. To say it, I'm a lot less. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just excited. Allegedly, I'm going to get a raise at work, which is always nice, but. Yeah, they're going to put a mint on your pillow, on your, like, oh, chair. They did offer me a free t-shirt today, and I declined it, so... Oh, okay. Will that, will that go back into your paycheck? Probably. Oh, okay. The $5 for the t-shirt. I didn't know it was a really nice t-shirt anyway. Let's see. And then, Artem, I know you're looking forward to seeing Tommy on Saturday, where we can talk more about all the Big Ten issues that have been happening. Yeah, it's going to be pretty exciting. Let's see. Maryland, Michigan State, Ohio, Ohio State. State. Um, um, who knows? Everybody, they all get in trouble for stuff. Illinois fired Tim Beckman for beating players before I'm, they hired Levy Smith. I'm pretty sure Iowa State's getting in trouble because they popped some corn, and that's <laughs> that is considered corn. You know, abuse. Kevin Wilson got fired at Indiana for abusing players. Yeah. He's now the OC at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Baylor did some things. <laughs> Baylor did some bad things. You know, Ole Miss did some bad things. Mississippi State also did some bad things, but because they turned in Ole Miss, they were okay. I don't know. Just, Bama probably did some bad things. I mean, you've got Albert Means from well, I mean, if you ask 20 ten, years ago. If you ask Tennessee, I think they will be glad to point out some bad things that we did. But I mean, my, I'm, be- Beating them that terribly is kind of a, <laughs> that's, a I'm pretty sure crime. some war crimes were committed, yes. <laughs> okay. Bama, we can just do uh, several quotes that uh, Saban – Drops like the one uh, recently. What was it he said? Somebody like we don't. We're just gonna shit out another player. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's for him. I, I, you know, he says that like it's a joke, but I, I seriously think that he could. I don't know. <laughs> My favorite statement was after they played Georgia Southern, and I mean they beat him like forty-eight to fourteen. But 
Um, so he, he didn't like how the defense performed. And so he's like, yeah, they ran through us like shit to a tin horn. <laughs> this is one of my favorite words. He doesn't, he doesn't mince words, that Saban guy. Uh, anyway, so this weekend we're going to be going into more detail about Big Ten controversies, but today is just for us to talk about our teams in the upcoming season. So football is right around the corner. Next week we're going to talk about our predictions and our excitement for the next games. But this week, Andrew and I are going to talk about our, do you want to say excitement? Is that the right word for it? I mean, I always go into new seasons excited because it's just fun and I love watching tech football even when it destroys me. Um, but honestly, yeah, I'm, I'm cautiously excited and optimistic for this season. And Artem's going to talk about, I really have no idea what your expectations are for the season, Artem, because you were kind of passive about the whole Texas A&M thing when we talked about the SEC last week. We're going to beat everybody. Don't get me wrong. Oh, okay. Yeah. You were just, you were just being reasonable for the sake of the podcast. Absolutely. National championship this year. Okay. Well... To start things off, I guess we're going to talk about Georgia Tech. So, for the purposes of uh, this podcast, I'm just going to pretend like I had known nothing, and I'm going to let Andrew talk. So, Andrew, I was looking over the magazine that you got earlier. I know we've got a new defense. Apparently, we've got 13 starters on defense. you got to tell me more about this 3-4 system that we're going to be running. You know, that's that's going to be our secret to playing better defense is just play 13 <laughs> Wait until they notice. Maybe they won't. You know, if we can get at least a quarter, two quarters in, I think we'll be okay. I don't understand how that got past the editor. What the fuck? <laughs> what were you doing? I, I feel like I should email David Glenn, who's a, a statewide radio host who runs the ACC oh, sports, the reporter, sports reporter, and kind of let him know that I'm disappointed in this horrible editing. But yes, Georgia Tech, after, you know, I've heard it called the leaky roof defense of Ted Roof for four or five, five years? Five seasons yeah. of Ted Roof from 2013 through 2017. George Tech let him go. Technically, he left to take a job at NC State, but the job at NC State was a demotion in responsibilities. So, uh, moving into retirement. You know, you know if, I have a feeling you know, it was one of those, well, you can stay, but you're not going to be the D.C. anymore. And he left. In comes Nate Woody, most recently of Appalachian State. Spent a ton of time at Wofford before he was at Appalachian State. Put together some some really good, solid defenses for the Mountaineers that even when they played teams that outmatched them, they played Georgia last year. They almost beat Tennessee a couple years ago. You still good, solid defense for, for what he had. The biggest change, like you said, is we're going to shift from what was basically a 4-2-5 with four down linemen, two linebackers, and five secondary players to basing somewhat out of a 3-4, a three, three down linemen, four linebackers. I think the, the field linebacker is probably going to – currently it looks like it's more than likely going to be a guy like Christian Campbell – or Jalen Johnson, who's really more of a big safety to allow him to play the space a little bit better, be a little bit better in his spot drops. 
Yeah, right now they've got, at least on the depth chart, they've got Jalen Johnson listed there. Yeah, I know the reports coming out of camp have been that Christian Campbell's played a lot there as well. It honestly bugs me. They've still got St. Amore at defensive end, and I'm like, I feel like he would be better as an outside linebacker. I, I can see. I, I kind of agree with you. I think that's probably the weakest position on the new defense is we don't really have anyone with experience who fits that body type or that ability that you want for that boundary rush linebacker like Woody likes to play. The guys that I think might have a really good chance are the two freshmen, Jordan Dominic and Justice Dingle. I think both of those guys kind of have the body and the skill sets to slot into that position, but they're true freshmen that didn't enroll in the spring. So they've got to come in and really show – to try to win that job. The the defensive line will be really fascinating. Kyle Surge Henderson looks like he's locked down the starting nose tackle position, again, from what's come out of camp. Which I have no idea. Is he just a big guy? Is I think he's wide. Oh, okay. I don't know exactly how tall Serge Henderson is. I think he's kind of more of a squat kind of guy. See, I, I wish that could be my job, where I could just <laughs> get fat. Like, where... Where I would love being Mount Cody at one point <laughs> in my life. I don't know. Anyway. But yeah, I mean, Kyle Serge Henderson's listed at 6'1", 298. Uh, probably a little shade under 6'1". But yeah, he played all right for us last year in what we asked him to do. The ends, I think, have a chance to be pretty good in Enray St. Amour, who's probably our best returning pass rusher that we have. And then Desmond Branch, who is the first junior college kid we've signed in a thousand years. Right. I'm honestly surprised that you haven't, well, I guess you're focusing on the three, four aspect. I'm surprised you are not more concerned about the secondary. Cause that's where They're we young. lost. They're really yeah. young. The thing in my mind is they may be young, but they may have, they may be more athletic and more talented than what we lost. Honestly, that's what I'm looking at. I mean, they have less experience obviously, mm-hmm. but certainly a lot more size. And I don't know about Talent level, we'll have to see you know, on the field. Lamont Simmons is the guy that's really going to be your your corner that's expected to do a lot. He played a little bit last year. He's a USC transfer. He's a bigger body. Yeah. You know, Simmons is 6'2", 197 pounds, you know, big body, long arm corner. Opposite him, we're probably going to start a Johnny Kerr. Kerr played a good bit last year, probably most famously known for the game-winning pass breakup. Yeah. Against Virginia Tech on the oh, post. Yeah. yeah. That's really the play that kind of showed he's a guy to, to look at. And then there's there's some depth. Jalen Askew, Trey Swilling, some other young guys that have a chance to maybe work their way into rotation. I think what'll be interesting with the Alcorn State game and with the new rules for redshirting is if we get ahead of that game enough, I think you'll see a ton of really young players play that you might not have seen in previous seasons just to get them on the field, get them adjusted, and still be willing to, to redshirt them later in the year. Yeah, it's interesting. Oh, this depth chart that I'm looking at was last updated uh, halfway through July, so it's a little outdated. But it's actually got Jaitlin Ask. Is it Askew or Askew? I say Askew. I don't know if that's correct. Um, but it's got him as the second person in corner uh, playing across from uh, Lamont, Lamont Simmons. Simmons. So, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I ask you, ask you played a bit on special teams last year. He's, again, what an athletic kid. The the safeties are going to be interesting. Tariq Carpenter, I believe, is 
pretty much locked down yeah. the starting strong safety position. Everything that I've heard out of camp is he's a guy who's had a really good camp, who's really come on and really grown a lot in that position. And then Mikhail Rivera, the graduate transfer from Wofford, is a kid who's come in and I think been a little more athletic than they expected him to be. Obviously, he's got a ton of experience playing in Nate Woody's defense. The safeties coach we hired, Shale Wood, is you know was the Wofford safeties coach, so Rivera's had a lot of time to work with him. And I think that's what's kind of allowed Christian Campbell to slide down into that bounder, that field yeah. linebacker, stinger, whatever the position I've seen it called, yeah. a bunch of different things. Yeah, and then that also leaves you open because he could probably fall into a cover linebacker if necessary. So it's a yeah, good, so you, good so you So, you know, you can play 11 personnel without having to come out of your base personnel group on defense, which can really help in some of the hurry-up teams we play that, you know, stick to a lot of 11 personnel. Clemson, North Carolina, Virginia Tech to an extent, some of those teams. Okay, and then offense is more obvious stuff. I mean, I think we talked about this in more detail uh, coming off of the last season where it's just you know what you're going to get. I'm kind of curious what we've got with wide receivers, but it's going to be probably Brad Stewart and Jalen Camp who are also going to be there in A-backs. Then you've got uh, Taquan Marshall, you know, your standard lineman. You wrote a whole article about the linemen. You could go into detail about that. That's actually pretty interesting. The report's coming out of camp. So one of the big things was the fact that the starting center from last season, Kenny Cooper, was out all summer and out all the early part of camp coming back from surgery. And so one of the things they did is they shifted Josiah Lee, who had played left tackle, to center. And apparently he's really shined and really taken to the position. Johnson's actually said nice things about him, which – you know how often Paul Johnson oh, says nice things. Never. And so this, the thing that I've heard is they're looking at whether or not when Cooper comes back, let Cooper play right guard and let Will Bryan play left tackle. Interesting. And that's going to be interesting because I've always felt that, that Will Bryan's a better guard than he is tackle, personally. Hmm. I think that he's he's more of a, a, a down block, a base block kind of guy – more so than the the really athletic slip and get to the second level, which is what we look for at the tackle. Okay. Um, that's really my concern. But if the coaches think that, they're obviously smarter than I am about this. Hmm. And I think that still does gives that, us a ton of experience across the offensive line. Does that signal anything about what they might be doing in the scheme? I mean, I, to me, honestly, all it says is that he's got a little more talent and they trust him more. I think it's, I think it's that. I think they see, are they more comfortable – basically with Lee at center, Cooper at guard, Brian at tackle, then Lee at tackle, Cooper at center, Brian at guard. It's kind of which combination they want to see works better, fits better. The other thing that I really, really like is I've heard a lot of really good things about redshirt freshman Zach Quinney. Mm -hmm. The left, the tackle out of Savannah Christian came in about 6'6", 260, kind of light but long. One of the things I really liked about his high school tape is he played really flat. Yeah, he wasn't a guy that popped up to block. He he really stayed flat as he came off the ball, drove really well, and showed athleticism. And I think that's really something you look for in a tackle in our offense. You look for guys that can slip to the linebackers, slip to the second level. We even have recently, uh, Georgia in 2016 was the game that sticks out in my mind. We actually even arced the tackle to the corner hmm. and just tried to block the inside linebackers with an A-back. 
Which worked. Yeah. I mean, it had I a mean, lot of success two years ago against Georgia. Well, I think that's also comes to people seeing those unusual blocking schemes can throw people off. Yeah. So, Artem, I let you kind of sit over there, be really quiet. I, I'm going to give you a chance because I think uh, both Andrew and I are kind of familiar with the system. Uh you don't you don't see this scheme very often, and obviously there are some preconceptions about the Veer option outside of you know, in general, out of the Power Five conferences. Do you have any questions for us about what we're going to be running this year at Georgia Tech, or what we should improve on? I think for our listeners, a good question would be. Your defense constantly practices against your offense, right? So if that's something you see on a day-to-day basis, how do you, even in your limited amount of time on the scout team, prepare against other teams? If you're seeing the, the beer option, the triple option consistently, how do you prepare for a team like Clemson where they come in and they want to run at you hard, but they also kind of want to... I just, I just got to say... I just gotta say, you're so lucky that Andrew's not in the same room with you because he's trying to—he's strangling the air right now. So while I understand what you're saying, Clemson's actually a bad choice because a lot of the reads are the same in the Clemson offense as it is in what we do. But back to your point, the biggest thing I think that we struggle with—not so much from a scout team standpoint—we struggle a lot with tight ends because we don't really have a player on our roster that fits into the tight end position really well. We don't use them on offense, and so you end up having to pull an outside linebacker on defense. So that's one where it's really tough to get a good look at a team that runs a lot of tight ends. A Clemson, so maybe that's your your example there, is Clemson who runs a good bit of tight ends, or a Georgia who's a little more traditional in what they try to do with a fullback. It's a little harder to run that at speed, but most of the time, especially in the season, you very rarely will get a one-on-one or a ones-versus-one period like that. And even when you do, a lot of times it'll be a seven-on-seven pass skeleton where it's more about your defensive reads than necessarily the routes that you're seeing. So any other questions that are going to upset Andrew, Artem? (laughs) Sure, I've got a bunch. I'm sure some of our listeners would have. I think I know the answers to some of these, but I'd love to hear Andrew's opinion, of course. Here's another good one. How do you guys lure wide receivers to your offense in, a, in an offense where you you don't throw a lot and a lot of the time the guy the guy's job is to block how do you get those guys how do you get the guys that not only want to play in that type of offense but are also the type of guys who with the limited opportunities they may get catch the ball as often as yeah possible? i think uh what's what's the name of duke's coach i think he had some strong opinions he about... did and he was utterly wrong <laughs> so the one thing about it, I do agree with you in terms of if you're if you're a wide receiver who all you care about is how many balls you're going to catch, we're not the offense that you want. The funny thing about it is, though, Johnson's actually had a first-round wide receiver, a second-round wide receiver, a third-round wide receiver, a couple of late-round wide receivers, and a couple of undrafted free agent wide receivers that have stuck around in the league for a while. And one of the reasons is NFL scouts – they like the fact that they see the guys block. That's oh, definitely yeah. something that is important to them. And then the percentage of man coverage that we see, they really like to see because it shows how a guy can get off a release, how a guy can beat a press, how a guy can separate some deep field separation. 
as well as we don't throw the ball a lot, but we do have a fairly complex route tree. A lot of it's based in the old run and shoot where it's very much designed as a quarterback wide receiver need to make the same read to run the same route. You know, receivers have the ability to break a route off if the corner flips his hips early. You know, if the corner dives, you can, you know, there's a lot of reading in the passing game. You know, and again, we're never going to be the team that throws the ball 30, 40 times a game. And if, again, if you're a receiver that that's what you care about is catching as many balls as possible, that you, where there's nothing we can tell you that's going to make you want to come to Georgia Tech. But we've had success. We also kind of have the type we're looking for. We really look for bigger, more physical wide receivers are the guys that are really going to be successful for us. You know, a guy like Ricky June, kind of under the radar, 6'3", 185, coming out of a small school in New York, yeah. you know, that fit what we were looking for, and we were able to bring him in and kind of turn him in what we wanted. Darren Waller who's currently with the Ravens, was another kind of 6'5", lanky, scrawny kid who came in and, and has had a lot of success. Well, and I guess and this is just my perspective as a not, like, in the back room. We look for guys who don't have – a lot of people, when they look at wide receivers, they're looking for guys who have a lot of flash to make big plays. Yeah, we don't really look for that. We're looking for possession guys who can – hold on to the ball, control it, and when they get the opportunity, they catch the ball and they take it to the ground. I mean, we're not looking for guys who are making big, fat, flashy plays and going 80 yards every play. Because in our scheme, a lot of the times, the way the plays are drawn up, if it works too correctly, they're going to be open anyway. So they just got to catch the damn ball. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're definitely a team that, that our biggest thing, when we have an offense that, that the passing game is working, we always have one of the highest uh, average completion rates in the country because we we try to throw vertically. You know, Johnson's time and time again said, if I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw vertically. And if you've ever played NCAA 14, I guess was the last one they made, you'll know that that works pretty well. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. But yeah, I mean, to be to to answer your question, yeah, we're probably never going to sign the big five star flashy wide receivers for both an offensive reason and other reasons. But there, we have had success and have put guys into the NFL. And I think that was Cutcliffe's comment. He's like, oh, you know, Georgia Tech wide receivers in the NFL. And everyone was like, Cutcliffe, we've got three times as many in Johnson's tenure as you have in your tenure at Duke. So, come on, dude. All right. Looking at guys like Calvin Johnson, Demarius Thomas. You yeah, Johnson you really can't count because Calvin, Calvin left before so. Johnson got here. But, yeah, Bebe's a big one. Um, hey, Bebe. You know, Unfortunately, Stephen Hill had stone hands. Is there a guy this year that's looking to break out of that position? I think Jalen Camp. I think Jalen Camp's a kid who is a is a true junior. Had one catch last year, but has shown a lot of flashes in camp. Has really apparently is one of the the stronger players on the team. I remember reading somewhere Johnson talked about his benches and like the low 300s, high high three, low 400s, for, which is pretty good for a wide receiver. Uh, that one catch Camp made was very impressive. Yeah, he made he a very score. sharp play. Yeah, you know, we've got another kid, 6'5", Steve Dolphus, kid out of Macon, who has a shot to really be that kind of third guy when we roll wide receivers, who's, you know, a bigger body, more physical player, who we're going to be interested to see what he kind of tries to turn into. And then we actually recruited really, really well Malachi Carter and P.G. Harris, 
yeah. are two pretty pretty solid. Well, I don't you know, know how much. I don't know how much we'll see them mid play. Three. Yeah, again, I mean but. Johnson wants to rotate forward. Again, I think it may be one where you see him play in blowouts just because the new redshirt rule. I think again, you'll see a lot more guys play that probably wouldn't have played. Well, I mean, you'll see them blocking. I'm sure. I don't know about actual play plays. All right, Artem, I'll give you one more. Hit me with it. Make it good. Perfect. What do you guys think about special teams? Uh, do you have a kicker or a so, punter who's able to put you in those situations to win? You guys said that a lot of games in the last couple of years where it kind of came down to, is this kid going to make a field goal? Or can we pin him, in, pin him deep and use our defense to get back in the game once they punt? Well, it is kind uh, of What's, what's going to happen this year? What do you guys think? Well, it is kind of a misnomer because Bucker had the highest scoring rate for us, but he did miss some big field goals. Our, our punter was a freshman All-American last year, uh, Presley Harvin. Yeah. Who is actually a very thick punter. Oh, he's a big boy. He's a big boy punter. <laughs> um, we actually Are you saying thick like T H I C K or like thick T H I C C. Oh, let the kids say it. Yeah, the yeah. Thick, with two C's. <laughs> he uh he kicked really well last year. Our biggest problem on special teams has been coverage. We haven't covered kicks really well. You know, on returns, we haven't blocked really well. We've got a really solid handed punt returner and Brad Stewart. Not flashy, but it's going to catch the ball. Well, And I don't, again, I don't know as much about drops, but it seems like we over-pursue a lot on, we do. especially on punts is what it feels like. The kicker battle, it wasn't great last year. It's still ongoing currently. So we were spoiled like Logan kind of hit at with Harrison Butker for a couple of years, who was really, really good and has now gone on to be really, really good for the Chiefs. Oh, he's kicking ass. Um, I love it. But the punting, I am much more confident about us punting the ball than I am kicking field goals. Hopefully, well, and to be fair, I don't think Paul Johnson ever liked kicking field goals in the first place. I mean, not if, if he, not if he doesn't think they can make them. If he doesn't have to, he's not going to. Which <laughs> part of me respects, and another part of me is terrified of. So, okay. I had one more. Go for it. Um, not really related to Artem's question, but there is one big injury issue coming out of fall camp so far, and that's backup quarterback Lucas Johnson who had a non-contact lower extremity injury that needed surgery, which probably means it was an MCL or a PCL or an ACL of some sort. Johnson was the backup quarterback to Taquan Marshall, but was expected to actually see a decent amount of playing time because he's he's, he's got a great arm. Well, I mean, he's, he's going to be starting next year. Yeah, regardless. he's going to be one of the lead guys in the quarterback battle next spring. And so him not being able to get live reps and really seeing what he can do in live game situations – I think not so much will hurt us this year because I don't. I think Marshall's fine. Well, it will limit us. It will limit us if Marshall gets injured, God yeah. forbid, and it will limit us in like the passing game or something like that. Well, and that's and that was the thing is just to see if if he had had any chances to play a little bit to see what he could do and to get some live game reps. But anyway, I did want to get to my next question before we get to Texas A and M. I wanted to ask, what's your most excited game that you're looking forward to, Andrew? I mean. Obviously, I could settle for any kind of game to kick off the season. I just wanted to be here. But I'm assuming your top of your list is not Alcorn State. No. The the USF pit section, If we especially if we come out and we really lay the hammer into USF, I think that'll, that'll really set us up and, and kind of put me in a more positive expectation for the season. Because I think, I think USF is a good team, and I think if we can come in and – I don't know if we'll, we we will, but if we if we come out and, and win that game handily, I think it sets us up really well with some confidence going into some other parts of the season. 
I think the Friday night game against Louisville will be really fascinating too. It's the first time we've ever played Louisville. Mm. It's also the first time Georgia Tech's played on a Friday since 1994. Yeah, that's going to be weird. So that'll be kind of exciting. And then... Well, I think our most... Mine is... Our most important stretch, I think, is those three games with Duke... Then the bye week at Virginia Tech on a Thursday, which we never do well on Thursdays. And then the road game at North Carolina on their homecoming. Because, so I mean, let's, I'm, I'm not going to be optimistic. I'm going to be realistic. We got five games up till that point, five or six games up till that point, And we'll probably get somewhere around three and three, four and three. So then we got three games that are winnable that's going to basically determine our bowl position. And then after that, we got Miami, Virginia, and at Georgia. And I want to say we'll beat Virginia, but we saw what happened last year. And I don't think we're favorites going in against Miami or Georgia. No. We so, so we need to win those three games if we're really going to secure our bowl position this year. Yeah, it's crazy. I've seen, I've seen Georgia Tech predicted everywhere from second in the Coastal to missing a bowl game and seventh in the Coastal. And I think a lot of that speaks to our uncertainty, but as well as the – relative level of parity in the coastal between most of the programs yeah i mean like who knows where duke could end up who knows where virginia could end up with all those injuries so yeah virginia I mean, tech injuries too uh sorry virginia tech is what i meant but yeah everybody it's all over the place i don't know i guess mine is since i'm gonna be there i'm looking forward to duke uh but we'll see what happens i'm also kind of excited about the unc game but I'm worried that I'll get into a fight with somebody, so I don't know. I still don't understand why that guy wanted to fight us. I don't know what we did. Uh, I don't know. My favorite game on the schedule is USF because I want to see how well they'll do and how well we'll do in that game. It'll kind of set up for the rest of our season. But I'm really hoping the Duke game is exciting. Uh, Not too exciting. I could use us just winning the game. All right. Well, with all that out of the way, I'm going to transition into actually not knowing a thing about what we're talking about. Artem, why don't you tell us a little bit about Texas A&M? I honestly didn't get uh, your opinion on where you wanted to start. Do you want to talk about the offense, or do you have something in particular in mind? i got a bunch of items we can talk about, and then you guys can ask all the questions you want. I'm sure Andrew knows a lot more about schemes than I do, but done a little bit of reading, a little bit of checking. So whatever questions about players you get, I'll cover you after. Um, It's... it's Big beginning to Jimbo era, really. Um, there's not a lot of very cupcake games, as they call them, on the schedule. We start out with Northwestern State and ULM in the first four games, but also playing Clemson and Alabama in those two games kind of doesn't make it very easy, especially if you go into injuries, which everybody knows there's a bunch of injuries that usually happen during the first couple of games just because players are still getting adjusted, somebody does the wrong move, somebody gets you. Um, there's a, there's a lot that can happen there, and going into those games without enough depth, enough experience can, can hurt. I do think there's not really a decent spot in the schedule where you can say we're taking a break, but if anything, it'll probably be towards towards the end, I want to say. We can let up a little bit. We play Old Miss, UAB, and LSU as the last three games. Ole Miss is kind of a, a guessing game, honestly, um, just because we don't know where they're going to be. All these sanctions, people transferring, we're not really sure what's coming out of this old Ole Miss team. Everybody's kind of hyped up on Mississippi State, so it could be beaten up by then. Could be a, could be an easy team. They got UAB, which is semi easy, and then 
I think LSU will actually be a really good game for us uh, to end the season just because we haven't beaten them since we've been in the ACC, so there's a lot of expectation that Jimbo can turn on around. We did hire pretty much everybody as a, as a new assistant or a new coach except our offensive line coach and our defensive line coach, though. We kept those guys on. Uh, Jim Turner for offensive line. Both, both of those were... They're decent coaches. They've recruited well at the position. Miles Garrett, uh, Jim Turner was here with the coach before Sumlin, Mike Sherman, and um, a lot of the leftover from that era gave us three or four offensive line picks. So keeping uh, those guys on kind of helped further the momentum when we were able to, to pick up some talent and some depth at those positions. And uh, kind of with any new coach transition, there were gaps that were left. So last time when someone came in after Sherman, we didn't have any depth on the defensive line. He recruited one defensive lineman, or two, maybe tops two defensive linemen per cycle. And by the time when someone took over, I think it was like two or three guys total in the roster on the defensive line. Uh, on the other side of that, Jimbo inherited a program that is solid at the defensive tackle. A bunch of seniors, we get a bunch of juniors. Not people hurt yet. Uh, very surprising. But at the same time, we were decent at linebacker at that point in time. When someone took over, now that someone's gone, Jimbo's taken over. We have, I believe, four, maybe five total linebackers uh, that are that have a scholarship, and the rest are either walk-on or two-star you know, preferred walk-on players who were kind of welcomed into the team. They also have some experience because they played in blowout games, but this is the SEC. You tried out a third stringer or no scholarship guy, very rarely does that prove to be successful. We do have some learning pains that the team's going to go through. Um, Jimbo is pretty much the offensive coordinator. He hired Daryl Dickey out of Memphis with the number four defense in the country last year with Memphis. And together they're they're putting together the game plan, but uh, Dickey's going to sit in the booth and Jimbo's going to make the calls. And an article I read recently actually was uh, very eye-opening. It was a bunch of quarterbacks quoting him and Kind of why he's been called a quarterback guru and why he's going to be successful pretty much with whatever he's he's got. He seems to be a guy that you either hate or you love because he yells at you every time you mess up and he yells at you when you don't mess up because he wants to know why you made the decision that you made. A lot of the, the quarterbacks that he's coached you know, either panned out, essentially making it to the NFL and had some snaps as either a backup or a starter. For example, uh, Jim, uh, Jameis Winston was a big one, his first-round pick. Uh, C.J. Manuel seemed to be amazing, but then didn't really pan out of the Bills. So he's had a lot of success at that position, and from what those players are coming back and quoting, they're saying he got the best out of them. So he, we tend to, at this point, Jimbo, tends to adjust the offense based on what his players can do. That's kind of rang true with all of them through the interviews. They're saying... He didn't ask me to do anything that I wasn't comfortable doing and that I didn't believe in. So if a player told him, you know, I can't run this can't run this offensive play, I'm not very confident in it, Jimbo's not going to call that during the game. He's going to find out what you're comfortable with, he's going to yell at you, he's going to get you prepped for the game, and he's going to get the, the game plan ready for you and the other quarterbacks. So he seemed to have elevated our quarterback room, and whereas in the past, the last three or four years, we had players transfer that had a player competition. Last year really wasn't the case because we had – a true freshman come on, so you're not going to transfer right away if you don't get the job in most cases. So, but this, this year, you know, there, there was some talk about 
either Nick Starkle or Kellen Mond winning the job and then the other one transferring. That hasn't been the case. Apparently, Kellen Mond, uh, Starkle was the starter last year. He won the battle out of camp as a redshirt uh, freshman, I think, at the time. Broke his ankle in the first game. Kellen Mond came in, I think went like one or two for 19. Didn't complete a lot of throws and honestly fared maybe a little bit better the rest of the time. And people didn't like it. Uh, we didn't have a vertical passing game. We didn't have a lot of throws to wide receivers that were on target, people catching things. And essentially, Starkle came back after six or seven games, won the jump back, had a couple games over 400 yards, and a handful of games over 300 yards. Kid was blowing the top off of defenses, landing balls, you know, hitting a dime from 30, 40 yards out. So it was going to be a big battle, um, and apparently in the offseason when Jimbo came in, Kellen came up and talked to Jimbo and said, what do I need to do to win the starting job? And apparently it's been a competition the whole time, so they still have a name starter at, at a quarterback. Apparently the battle's still going, and we may play two quarterbacks this season. People always complain about the offensive line. I'm honestly pretty hopeful. We have a three-, four-year starter at center. We have two... Uh, true sophomores at ta- the tackle spots, but they both played last year and they were better than any starter we had. And then uh, two experienced guards. So that's as much as you can ask for. And, you know, everybody complains about o- offensive lines. I, I think that's a problem. Every single can, every team you go with. Very rarely is somebody like, man, I've got a great <laughs> offensive line. We're going to be awesome this year. A lot of complaining until you're like, oh, we're putting up a lot of points. Our quarterback's not getting sacked a lot. Uh, there's also a lot of depth because Jim Turner's uh, – a good recruiter and has brought in a lot of talent, a lot of uh, moldable people at the position. And if you uh, if you know Jake Matthews, uh, one of his younger brothers, Luke Matthews, is a true freshman this year, and he's a left tackle already. Apparently, breaking into the two deep because he's a smart kid. We do have a, a running back, Travion Williams, freshman, thousand yard season, eight almost eight hundred yards last season. He's pretty much unless he gets injured, he'll be the starter at running back. Biggest position of need, I would say, is tight end. We do have Jay Sternberger, who looked amazing in the spring game, went for 150 yards and two touchdowns. Um, but we don't have a lot of depth behind him. The guy behind him was a tight end when he got recruited, but he ended up playing defensive end at Arizona because that's what they needed. They didn't need a tight end anymore. And the reason he left was Kevin Sumlin's there, and he doesn't need a tight end. The guy behind him is a true freshman. Um, definitely a lot of the, the biggest strength on the team is the defensive line. Uh, this oh. this camp we had a defensive end, uh, the pass rusher defensive end get so, hurt. We moved over our, one of our defensive tackles who's lost some weight, so people just moved over. He was used to be a defensive tackle, now he's playing in. So Artem, uh, if you don't yeah, if you don't mind, because uh, again I'm playing the dumb ignorant person. I don't watch all the Texas A&M games. Uh, before we get too in depth about the defense, can you explain more about what y'all are going to be trying to do on offense this year? Because it sounds like uh, yeah, you're going more for an air raid direction uh, with given who you pulled in from Memphis? No, uh, apparently what Dickie came told everybody is that a lot of the stuff that he's implemented has been coming out of what he's learned from Jimbo. I'm sure that's uh, partially just you know official mumbo-jumbo, but from, from what it seems, we're just going to be running Jimbo's all offense with a couple kinks kind of to, to tailor to whoever's going to be quarterbacking that game. Um, the biggest position of need that we needed was tight end. Uh, tight end was 
on the roster, but there wasn't a lot of guys who could block and then go out for a pass. The tight end was used differently in the Sumlin offense. It was more, our offensive line can't block anybody, so let's put another blocker in there, and that's pretty much all they'll do. I think we had one pass that, or one ball that the quarterback grabbed from under center the entire Sumlin tenure. I think that's six years. We had one snap from under center, so I think we started the spring game with that. That play was quarterback taking a snap from under center. Um, it's a lot of very precise routes, a lot of timing. He kind of lures the the defense into certain plays, and then will will throw the ball into spots they don't expect after kind of running it down their throat. Although, so, from what I hear, it's going to change a little bit from his Florida State offenses, where he's not going to be running uh, between the tackles so much as uh, doing more outside run options. Yeah, uh, I was about to. Yeah, I was about to ask Sorry. about that. Uh, do you think you're going to be able to run the option, uh, speed options and read options with the, the quarterback you've got in place? I think if you see Kellen Mond starting, I think that would be the main reason he starts. The biggest thing behind him has been lack of accuracy throwing the ball, but he's a very athletic dude, and he can uh, roll out of the pocket and uh, run for a big chunk of yards because the defense is thinking you're going to throw the ball. But, Starkle is the guy who's not as athletic, but he is more of a take-it-off-off-the-defense kind of guy. And I was about to say, Starkle is your favorite. From what I've heard, Jimbo is on wonders with Mond, and although not accurate as Starkle, he has made great strides to gain on him there. So even today, what's seven days almost out from uh, from our first game, they were splitting first game first team reps. So, I don't know. I'm, the one who wins games is going to be my favorite. So, Jibbo, on a short recruiting season, signed a top 20 class. Who, out of that freshman class, do you really think we need to keep an eye on to come in early and have a lot of success and really have an impact for you guys this season? So, the good thing is last year we played a record – I think NCAA record number of 18 true freshmen that at some point were on the field when the ball was snapped. Uh, So there's not a lot of newcomers that are going to break into the two deep just because we had a lot of players that played last year. uh, And the the new guys that came in behind them, they're not breaking into the two deep anymore. Although the defensive tackle or defensive end role, since – since Michael Clemens got hurt, he, he nicked up his knee. So he won't be back for three or four games. We moved over our starting defensive tackle, Kingsley Kiki, over to his position. And because of that and the lack of depth at that position, uh, there's a guy named Bobby Brown who came in, and he's one of the taller defensive ends. He's more of a uh, stuff the, the offensive lineman, don't let him move around, stuff the run type of guy. Um, it's a big defensive end, and it's actually something that Jimbo's used in the past um, and has worked with in the past with uh, Marcus Spears. Uh, I forgot the guy he got. He had a Florida State. It was very similar shape. He's 6'5", you know, 260, 270 for a freshman. So Bobby Brown is one I would look out for. Um, we also had a linebacker transfer, which was in the news, and a linebacker, two linebackers got hurt. So... One's out for the season towards ACL. He was supposed to be our rover position, which is a new defensive role for us that we're not really used to, but it's pretty close to what we used to do. Um, and then the that leaves, I think, three total linebackers that are currently not nicked up that are <laughs> potentially could be on the field at the same time. So we did sign a 
a running back, Vernon, I think his name is Vernon Green. Um, and he was a big dude. He's 6'3", 240. He played for uh, a high school that where he played both ways. So he played, at, I think, safety, actually, as a 6'3", 240 guy, and then a, a quarterback. But he essentially ran the ball 30 times for, like, 300 yards every game. And they, they made it. I think they lost in the playoffs. So I, I would look for him to to potentially break through either a linebacker, just because that's a position of need and really what people thought he could break through the depth chart, um, or a running back. I think he did a lot of that in high school and something he's used to. He's a kind of stereotypical power runner that Alabama has used in the past. So depending on the teams we play, he may come in there and just pound them down the middle, kind of get the teams to key in on him, put more more defensive players in the box, and then uh, throw the top off the defense. Fair enough. I... I guess my question is, going into this season, we know the SEC is predicated on defensive mentality, but I'm looking at who you've got to play on the schedule. You've got Alabama, you've got Mississippi State, and those might be the two toughest offenses you face all year. I mean, I guess it depends on where Auburn falls and where Clemson falls, but again, it's kind of hard to tell. Uh, Are you... More excited to see your defense on the field against these teams or see how the offense performs under Jimbo Fisher? I'm excited about the defense, honestly. We got Mike Elko, and he's got a proven record of improving defenses. It's something that we thought we had with uh, the chief, John Chavis, who came over from LSU, but time only told us that in the two to three years he spent with us, he, I think, was more successful because of his... Uh, players that he had at LSU. Uh, unlike Aranda, who came from Wisconsin and, you know, improved the defense to be that top type of defense with by developing players and teaching them to play more sound, disciplined defense, um, I think Chavis was a little lucky with the talent he's had around him. So when he came here, uh, I mean, the stadium could tell you that some of the plays that he was going to run based on the situation we were in. And if everybody in the stadium knows, obviously the other coach knows how to beat that. And they did. So with Mike Elko, I'm hoping he's the type of guy that he's been in the last two stops he was at. He was at Wake Forest for three years, uh, where the defense he took over was a you know top 100, top 80 defense and ended up in the 40s, I think, with the talent that he had there, um, which not to you know get Wake Forest people not to listen to our uh, podcast, but they're not known for their defense prior to that. They don't naturally bring in Alabama-esque or Clemson-esque type players to play for them. So he he worked with the talent he had, and he kept teams in check. Then he went over to Notre Dame after they fired their defensive coordinator, and he was there only for a year, but they went from uh, top 80 the year before him, and he left the defense top 40. He said that was because his guys were hungry and his guys listened. So he's he's mostly a safeties guy, which we've had good safeties. We have good safeties on our roster now. They're both experienced, and Donovan Wilson, who was out for the season last year, and Derek Tucker, who was a true freshman last year, played a bunch and made some really big plays in games down the season. So um, from what I've heard, the safeties and the linebackers are the kind of the main position in his defense. He's got several packages that he goes through, uh, and those are the the base defense is essentially a a 4-3. you got four defensive linemen on the field, three linebackers, and then four different uh, back uh, defensive backs. 
and but one of the four defensive linemen that's in that alignment plays somewhat of an outside linebacker role. So you're essentially playing somewhat of a 3-4. We got almost four linebackers on the field, but the priorities are kind of split. And it, it depends on the play. So at that point, you've got a stand-up defensive end, which can either fall back into coverage or you can rush the passer, depending on um, where if you want to put pressure on him or if you want to try to get the pressure from the other side and cause an interception. Because a lot of the guys from that position have gotten interceptions as defensive ends. And that all... The goal is to get their, their hands up. And that all gets made... That decision gets made on the field. That's not a coaching decision. Yeah, it depends on... It, well, it depends on the play that's happening in the line. Fall into a scheme, and then based on what's happening, what the alignment they see, they fall into a certain play mode that they've been coached to do. Um, he's got a couple other alignments, which is the what they call the penny, which is a three-two-six, three defensive linemen, two linebackers, and then six defensive backs, which is essentially a, primarily a, a passing down defense. So in that case, that that would cause a you know a change of personnel on the field. And then you got the dime, which is essentially a three-three-five. That's what they're calling the dime. It's a three defensive linemen, three linebackers, and then five defensive backs. And you got those guys to, against some of the more athletic teams. So I think we're going to run the base defense, especially in the ACC, to kind of stuff the run, have as many linebackers on the field as possible. And that third linebacker is, you know, a coverage guy or a, he does, he does, he, what he does is dictated by the offense, essentially. He either fall back, falls back into coverage to take up the tight end, or he can help you rush the passer and stop that run if he sees him coming towards him. So, kind of the goal is you have a a guy who used to be a safety or or a guy in the mode of a safety that's put on 10 15 20 pounds so it's it's gonna be interesting to see it's a very similar to what we ran with chavis the the four three or the i guess they call it a four two five technically because your your rover the third linebacker is a defensive back but a little heavier but it's very similar to the chavis defense it's also it's also very complicated because you can call four quarters coverage from that. You can, um, you can do cover four, cover two. I've seen some different lineups that you can do with that to kind of confuse the quarterback to where he sees one thing, but everybody's actually, you know, everybody's rushing or blitzing, and then you actually fall back in coverage. And they actually cause some problems for players like Jameis Winston and um, what's the kid that played with them last year, uh, Francois. So. Even some of the smarter quarterbacks or some of the more talented uh, offensive have some trouble with it just because it shows you one look, but it's actually a different look. I think the hardest thing to do with that is going to be Chavis' defense was very simple, and this is a little bit more complicated, and you have to actually have to think for yourself on the field. You get Your safeties and your linebackers got to help get everybody aligned, and we're not very deep at linebacker right now. So I, it'll, it'll all depend how well we play will depend on how – well, we've developed the talent that's behind some of our depth, as well as how many bodies we can keep healthy at the linebacker position, especially in the SEC. Because you know that that interview that some, that uh, Saban had recently, two of his starting linebackers are hurt; they're out. The two guys behind them barely have any experience, and you got a couple freshmen. So it's all about development of talent, and it seems like our guys are doing that a lot more. the The main thing that I'm excited about is the development of talent, honestly and how these guys are playing. They're being taught to play hard, and when they're practicing, as was in the past, this is actually a funny funny thing. In the past, they used to play music at practices, and Jimbo came in and said, no more music, because they have the position coach 
and then there's three assistants. So if the position coach is not watching you, there's like two or three assistants that watch you and give you immediate feedback on whatever it is you did, which apparently we didn't have in the past. It seems logical that you would have that, but we didn't have that in the past. Instead, we had music blaring and players kept making the same mistakes. So now they get yelled at for mistakes and hopefully we're actually developing talent. It'll be interesting to see how hard they play and it would be lovely for us to stop the run this year after six years of being record-setting run horrid defenses. Overall, excited. I'd, I'd say I knew we have a rough schedule, but a lot of the AM fa- fun ba- uh, fan base is looking at 8-4-9-4 record, and I, I'd say that's doable. I think it's optimistic, but it's doable. Uh so with that in mind, I know you got a new Aggies fan back home with you. Are there any games that you're looking forward to going to? I know you're going to the home opener against the, I didn't realize this was their mascot, the Northwestern State Demons. <laughs> I was like, that's an intense you know, name. We're excited. We got seats uh, in a different area than we usually do, but it's because they were really cheap. Just because apparently it's a Thursday night at 7.30 and a lot of people don't want to be traveling that night. So we were able to get some, some good tickets, some decent seats for a pretty cheap price. So I'm pretty excited about that one. Uh, Clemson game, unfortunately, I get a wedding, but I may watch the game from the wedding. So pretty excited about that one. And, you know, honestly, no matter who it's been so far, it, it's been mostly someone, but depending on who the coordinators have been, we've played Bama pretty close in every year except that one time they blew us out 41 or 49 to 0. So I'm pretty excited to see what happens during the Bama game this year. I don't know. I, I just realized we we play Clemson. No, no, we don't play Clemson the week after y'all play Clemson. No, Georgia Southern's in between it. I know. I got thrown off by that. Oh, well. Is it Georgia Southern or Pitt? Oh, for us it's Pitt. For yeah, Clemson Pitt. it's Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern. Ah, such a shame. Oh, well. Anyway. We do get to see who's the best of us because we've got a comparison. So <laughs> it'll either be Texas A&M, Georgia Tech, or Clemson. I'm, my bet's on Clemson. I'm thinking Clemson. Yeah. Uh, you looking forward? I don't suppose uh, you're pretty close, actually, to Arkansas, Texas A&M, uh, or AT&T Stadium for the Arkansas game. Do you go to that one pretty often? No, it's such an easy-to-access game, especially if he's there in the doubt that tickets are usually pretty crazy. They're probably in the somewhere between $200 and $300 to go. So we usually just watch it at home with some friends. We have some uh, some Razorback friends, and last year, or was the year before that, uh, we cooked bacon while they were here, so that was wonderful. Ah, uh, <laughs> bacon. <laughs> All right, well... Uh, this is normally where I talk about Alabama, but I, I think we all know what we're expecting out of them. So, yeah. Any other thoughts, guys? We have we have breaking news. Wait, wait, wait. I know what you're going to say, but I have a question for, for Logan first. Does Nick Saban shit out players? Five-star players. Uh, not five-star players. Like, four-star at best. And you have, to uh, shine, you have to shine him up the yeah, five-star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what, that's what, like, he's always... The punters aren't doing anything in practice anyway. So, yeah, you just get in there <laughs> with the elbow grease. If he shit out one of the players on the current team, who would it be? Ah, <laughs> uh, putting me on the spot. On the current team. Yeah, somebody who's his current player now, who is the most likely to have been shit out by Satan. Oh, Gosh, uh, you're making me pull up the roster now. Gosh. Hold on. 
Te- is it the Harris brothers that you shit out twins? Andrew, pull up. Andrew, you tell us your news, and I'll then I'll give my answer in a second. Um. Yeah. Our breaking news is that Urban Meyer has been suspended three games. Whoa. And, and that that's it. So what does that mean? Does that mean he's not allowed to be near the team, or he just not allowed to coach? That was I, that actually. I've not seen a good answer to that question yet. Um, if I remember correctly, let me read the actual statement. Cause like is, think... is this the, the Tom Brady, <laughs> you know, suspension where he wasn't allowed in the facility for what four weeks or something, six weeks? So it says. Urban Meyer is suspended that, uh, through September the 2nd and for the games on September 1st, 8th, and 15th without pay. I have no idea if that means that he can still game plan, meet, and run practice in between the games and just can't go to the games. That'll be really interesting to see. So they play Oregon State, Rutgers, and TCU. Interesting. The TCU one's they really... Might, they might lose to TCU. Yeah, the TCU's the one yeah, I think that's, that's that interesting. That's the one that I'm curious about as well. I mean, that's... I think that's why they were trying to keep it so low, but, I mean, realistically, that's a game they could very easily fall apart in. I don't know. I, I think they did that on purpose, because they're like, wait, if we suspend him for four games, then he's suspended for two lane, which we don't care about. But it will look like we cut it off right before the Penn State game, so we got to cut it off a game early. Uh, and to answer your question, Artem, uh, based on how we've done kicking uh, the past few years, I'm going to say that Saban shout out Belovus Joseph. Joseph Belovus. Oh, fuck that guy. <laughs> Are you saying that he's shit or he's molded by Saban? Because that kicker was committed to Georgia Tech. And then flipped before signing day, not for a scholarship at Alabama, uh, but yeah. to walk on at Alabama. That's I remember so this he story. Is a sh- he is a shit. He's actually he is a little shit, but he, apparently he's a pretty good kicker. He so. is. He's like the number one kicker in the country, number two kicker in the country coming out of high school. Yeah, so yeah, man, he said he's from Louisiana. All right. So the other news that came out was some details on Jimbo Fisher's contract, and apparently. The clause in his uh, contract states it's a ten-year, seventy-five million deal. But apparently, his base salary is like five hundred thousand, and he gets the wording was very weird. It's like seven million dollars worth of additional benefits or whatever. Yeah. So it's like it's cash benefits, and then you know, golf memberships, all this other stuff. Yeah. But apparently, there's a clause in there that says if he wants to, at any point in time, he can walk away, and we don't owe him anything, and he doesn't owe us anything. Um. Uh, and then if we f- if we fire him for cause, then also same deal. But if we fire him without cause, like sixty percent of the contract is due within sixty days. Oh my! It's a weird clause, right? He can just be like, you know what? This. See you guys. I think I think that's putting confidence in that that there aren't many jobs in the country that would open up that he would leave Texas A and M for. I think is why that, that deal. Yeah. Why that buy? <laughs> yeah. Why that buyouts? what it is but the, the the bad part is is if if the jimbo experiment doesn't end up working well and you get to like season five right. and you're like well god damn it we can't afford to fire this asshole i'm not sure you understood me the buyout zero you know that right no but if you fire him you owe him 60 percent of it right fire him without cause without cause if we fire him if he yeah. decides to go leave for another job 
We don't know him anything. He doesn't know us. I know, anything. and that's what I mean is I think that's betting on the fact that there aren't very many jobs out there that more attractive than Texas A&M. Yeah. True. That's a lot of confidence. It is. Trust there. I'm trying to think of what other program he would go to. Alabama. I mean, he left FSU to go to Texas A&M. Where's he from? He's West Virginia guy. Oh, yeah, I don't leave now. I mean, I other than yeah, again, other than Alabama, or maybe like I can't think of one that he would get offered that he would go to. Like, because he's not going to get offers from like Notre Dame or USC. No, uh, probably. I feel like Alabama's a, a white collar team. If that makes sense, like. The, are you are you being racist right now? There is there is one white collar school in the SEC, and that's Vanderbilt. I was about to say. Well, I don't mean it in that sense. I mean oh, sense oh, I see, I see what you star. mean. You mean we don't let black kids on the campus? Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's whoa. But yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I don't think there are very many jobs that. Again, I think you're right, Logan, and like the ones that he could leave for the USC's, Oklahoma might be a possibility. Uh, does he have any ties to that program? No. Yeah. So. But. I mean, that's the thing. It's like all the really fancy ones he doesn't have any ties to. The only reason he's tied out to Alabama is because he's kind of under the Saban he coaching spent time tree. Under Saban, so yeah. maybe LSU also, but even them, it'd be like but, that would be a weird choice. That would. The thing is, if you leave to Alabama, you are not getting the same deal that Saban got. Saban no. has free reign of anything, no. what he wants to do, how he wants to build the program. Oh, nobody. A program like Texas or LSU now or Bama after Saban, I don't think you're going to have that same. I mean, I no one's. Like, no one's getting. Here's what you're doing. The only person I can think of that might pull the same deal as Saban would be Dabo, and that's just because Alabama would get really, really desperate. You know, that's one where, for a long time, I was convinced that Dabo was going to leave when Sab- to take the Alabama job when Saban leaves. But I'm not as convinced uh, as I used Saban to be. Did Saban get interviewed about why and when he would leave, what he said? No. He said, I don't want to bring down this program, so if I ever feel like I'm the reason that the program is going down, I will leave. Yeah. I mean, I my thing is just like I I think he'll retire eventually. It's not going to be anytime soon. People seem to think. I remember what was it last year? People were already talking about if he was going to retire, and I was like, he's not like. Then they extend his contract. <laughs> he's he's gonna he, if he retires, it'll be like at least five years down the road. I mean, he's not exactly unhealthy either, so it's just like I don't see any reason why he would. The secret to long life is oatmeal cream pies. <laughs> Does he even have any kids? Yeah, yeah, he's got kind a bunch. of like the Kansas State situation. Where I don't think like, I don't think he's got any. I don't think he's got any kids that coach. No, because they they've learned from their dad. That's yeah, they learned from think, their dad. I think he's got a bunch of daughters too. Like if I remember yeah, correctly. Like so he's like Urban Meyer. Where he's got a lot of very young, attractive daughters that are going to college at Georgia Tech. She's not at Tech anymore. She's married to one of our old wide receivers who on who is on Urban's staff at Ohio State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh. Megan really got really sensitive about that. Like, God, I just never – like, you you missed out on something no, at Georgia no, Tech. No, no, oh, okay, no, sure. Just, happily, happily engaged. Okay. I, I can't find anything about, about Saban's kids, but I know he's got a daughter 
somewhere. Well, no, because like she was arrested for like beating. No, she was arrested for like beating the shit out of one of her roommates. I do remember that. <laughs> there, one of them was arrested. Yeah, like um, one of his daughters is apparently like an angry drunk and like got arrested for beating the shit out of a roommate. Oh, and that was why I was, was saying. Surprising. No. That was what I was saying about they'll never coach because A, they're female, and B, because they learn from their dad that if you become a coach, you will never show anyone else love, you know? <laughs> it's a sad what life. Are you, saying? Are, you, are you saying a girl can't coach football? Uh, not, and love their family? No, they can't do both at the same time. Oh, no, the lawsuit was dropped in 2015. Uh, didn't mean it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Is that person who filed the lawsuit still alive? We don't know, actually. No one's heard from them. Yeah. He does have a son named Nick. <laughs> also named Nick. Oh, that's that creeps me out, man. I think. Allegedly. Don't name your children after yourself. That's just weird. I mean, a lot of people do it. Artem chuckles. Did you, Artem, did you name your daughter Artem? I never actually asked what your daughter's name was. It's Nora. Oh, okay. Eleanor Claire. Nice. Aw, that's really beautiful. It is beautiful. Thank you. All right, guys. That's all we got. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for listening. Uh, As always, you can check us out uh, on iTunes. Give us a review if you get a chance, and on Spotify. Uh, Send us Facebook. Say again. Facebook now. Oh yeah, and Facebook now because Artem's a tech wizard. Also, shoot. Shoot us an email at toemeetsleatherpodcast at gmail.com and check out our Twitter account, toemeetsleatherpodcast. And as always, thanks for tuning in. Have a good rest of your night. Bye, everybody. (laughs)